0: Uh, It was actually the night before Good Friday, and uh, uh, the the man who was the the deacon who was presiding, this was another church, and he was presiding, and it was all going very well, until um, we got got to the breaking of bread. And, you know, he, with the appropriate words and the scripture, and he picked it up and he said the words, and he went to break the bread. And I watched his hands, he tightened on the bread and nothing happened. So he squeezed out of it, nothing happened. He str- it was now now it's getting embarrassing because he's struggling with this loaf. The problem was, it had been in the freezer all night, and nobody had arranged to defrost it. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, somebody had diced up some bread, and we got round it that way. But he wanted to break it, and uh, that's an image that stayed in my mind, and uh, it came right back there. It's, uh, um, one of those um, amusing things happens sometimes in a worship service, and uh, um, and our sort of services are good for the unusual happening, aren't they? I'm I struck with the words before I get into this, and nothing can stand against. That's what we're saying. Nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing, doesn't it? Nothing means nothing means nothing. Nothing can stand against, can it, sister? Nothing. Can stand against and sometimes the enemy says he confronts us doesn't he in a hundred thousand different ways and, and suggests that you know but this time no and when he says that we need to go no this time yes not in my name but in his name the name that has overcome everything that needs to be overcome Right? What is the cross all about? It's about overcoming. And and as we put our faith and trust in the one who overcame, then we are saved. What a great, wonderful experience we're having. If you were here last Sunday, um, we had a great time, didn't we? Did we not? When Chris Scott was preaching to us, I could have stood on my chair and cheered, really, because it was so, so good, wasn't it? So if you were not here last Sunday, and you missed out on that, I urge you, go online this week, it's easy to get online, and listen to what he had to say. Because it was absolutely, I felt, a prophetic word from the Lord, and especially for us as a church. I'm sure he's preached it elsewhere, because it's obviously a passion in his heart, he believes in what he was saying, and what it came down to was, the title was, God uses ordinary people. How many ordinary people do we have here this morning? Great. One or two think you're not, you know, perhaps you, are you less than ordinary or extraordinary? Actually, in God, we must be extraordinary people, mustn't we? God uses ordinary people. That's the other another lie of the enemy, isn't it? You know? When you felt perhaps a stirring in your heart from the Lord to do something for him, to be something for him, to go somewhere for him, a- and the enemy comes in, like a bucket of cold water, pours it all over and says, not you. I mean, to name some great Christian, oh, so yes, but not you. At that moment, you get on your feet and you go, God spoke to me. God means what he says. I'm going to do it. Come what may. Because nothing, nothing can stand against. When God has spoken, he spoke the worlds into being. Amen. He spoke the worlds into being. And uh, so, you know, we got a powerful God, an extraordinary God. And we were reminded last week that um, throughout the Old and the New Testament, God used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The preacher pointed out that the disciples that um, Jesus chose were frankly a ragbag of people, weren't they? Um, from every kind of walk of life, with every unpromising characteristic you could think of. Um, And uh, at the end of that day, you know, when it all came to it, the story goes that, uh, and it's of course a, 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 it is a story, that Jesus once he'd ascended, gone back to heaven, where he is interceding for you and I all the time, which is another great wonderful truth, isn't it? Yeah. But the angel said to Jesus, this bunch of fellas that you've got, they're pretty unpromising, aren't they? I mean, just look at what a ragbag they really are. And, and, and so you've entrusted them to take the message of salvation to the world. Angels with doubts in their minds, it seems, in this story anyway. If that fails, is there a plan B? Jesus looks them in the face, in the eyes, or whatever, and he says, there is no plan B. But, and the meaning of that is this, it's down to us. God has entrusted us, ordinary people, to be extraordinary under the power of the Holy Spirit in whatever way God tends to, wants to use us in our daily living, in our daily lives, whether it's the, the normal everyday work, or whether it's, uh, brothers talked to me this morning, he's going back to work tomorrow, he's been off for a long time, but I want to say to him this morning, and he knows who he is, God is going to take you and use you in an extraordinary way. And I'm going to say it to everyone, wherever you are tomorrow morning, wherever you are this afternoon, come to that. But, you know, you are an ordinary people with an extraordinary gift from God that he can use in a whole variety of different ways. And if we're going to change the world, if we're going to reach Tunbridge Wells, we'll be praying for that tonight. If we're going to do that, it's going to take all of us. That's not really my sermon. That's what the guy preached last week. It's going to take all of us to do it. You know? Don't leave it to the professionals, he said. Not that we feel very professional, you know, at times. We're not meant to be professional. We are meant to be, every single one of us, a witness, a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ Wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. And uh, I was very struck by that this week. And uh, I think, encouraged by what he said, I found myself talking to my window cleaner. I often have chats with my window cleaner. And uh, he knows I'm a Christian. And uh, But you know, so I stood talking to him. I said, "You Have you got a family? I'll call him Fred. He's not Fred, but uh, Fred, have you got a family? And he said, Well, I've got a daughter. So I said, oh, right. He said, uh, she lives with her grandparents. So I said, oh, okay. I said, how old is she then? So he said, 16. So I said, oh, what's her name? So he told me. So, and then I said, how's she going? And he went, a bit worried about her. I must tell you that Fred is, um, he told me subsequently in this conversation he'd been on the road for 16 years, his own choice. He went out as a young man. He must be about 40 now, I would think. But he went out and, and he spent 16 years, I think it was, on the road exploring England. He, he was homeless, but he, he chose to be that way, you know. And he's obviously lived for afters. You know, every appearance of him is at first was slightly daunting, but he's a really nice guy. And, and I had good conversation. And I said to so he said about his daughter, and he said, I'm a bit worried about her and various reasons and so on and so forth and I said yes 16 is a very vulnerable age isn't it and he said yes yes it is so I said to him you know I'm a Christian don't you yes he said I said would you mind if I prayed for your daughter he went yes please oh yes please I said Were you sure I said yeah I said if you don't mind Fred I'll pray for you as well he went Yes, please again. I'll, you know that was just a little conversation. You know, I can't give you his name, but if, just let's just pray for him in our hearts now. That he—that's a beginning of a journey. He Lives in Hastings, so um, I've done some homework this week to find out whether we could put him in touch with the church there. But that's a beginning of a story. Just we can all do a little bit, can't we? And if we all do a little bit, it makes a great big hole, doesn't it? In that sense, the wholeness of of. Um, of, of sharing the gospel with whoever there is. So, I want to talk to you this morning about ordinary people. I want to talk to you about Zechariah and Elizabeth. We are working our way through Luke, aren't we, with, under Stuart's guidance and, uh, uh, and really enjoying that. But if you turn to Luke chapter 1 in whatever way you're going to turn to it, and if you look at verse 5, we come across an amazing couple. An amazing couple. And uh, let me just read the first few verses. It's too long to read it all at one go anyway. It says, In the time of Herod the king uh, of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. That means my father is God, or God is my father. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. This is a priestly family. Both of them, were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. What an amazing testimony. Luke's writing his gospel probably something like, I don't know, if he was writing it fairly soon, maybe he was writing it some 40 years, we'll say, maybe 50 years after these events that we're reading here. And yet he must, and he must have searched the land. He talked to people about all the events that he's recording. And he, he's a meticulous recorder. And uh, he gets details that others don't get because he's listened and he's talked. And, he's, and he goes, it seems to me, to find out the very origins of faith. And he goes right back to the source. And he says, he's heard presumably, he knows about John the Baptist. He wants to know more. He searches out in the village where it is said that they lived. Now, uh, back, in, um, back in September, I was fortunate enough to go to Israel for the first time, and I went to the village that they say is the, the, where they lived. And I won't go to detail about that, because it take too long. But it's interesting. It's only a few miles from Jerusalem, seven or eight miles from Jerusalem, to the south of Jerusalem. And there's Luke, and he's he'd gone to the area, and I think he probably talked to the people in the village. People didn't move very far in those days. And people had a great memory of this couple. And when he asked for a, well, what were they like? They said, wow, they were, they were upright people. Uh, they, they, they really observed the, the law. They, they were fully committed to God. They lived the life out. They didn't just be priests. They lived it among us. And, and that memory had come down through perhaps one or even two generations and still that memory was there. Here this morning we can cast our minds back to people who you know, we would recall who were old when we were young and yet their testimony, their witness into our lives, their input into our lives has been immensely valuable all the way through until this very day. I recall people who was a child. Um, I recall my early Sunday school teachers who... who were, um, who input to me things that probably I couldn't, I just know they were godly people, and they influenced me, and part of that coming to Christ. What an amazing testimony to have. Uh, We need to guard our own testimony, don't we? The way we live is is really uh, the way people see us, and, and more damage is done to Christian faith by people who don't live to the words that they're saying than any other reason, you know? We we worry about all the things happening in the world and all that sort of stuff. But the thing that destroys Christian testimony quicker than anything else is failure. And we've heard an unpleasant one of that during this week. And uh, uh, in the national news. But this good testimony, brothers and sisters, we need to have a good testimony. We need to live it out every day. And we don't, we have to live it but we also have to speak it when we get the opportunity. Not to, not to thrust the gospel down people's throats, but rather to witness and we see the opportunity to seize it. There is something called the 10-second rule. And the 10-second rule is this, that you have an opportunity. We've all done this, and often we just not seize the opportunity. But there's, we're having a conversation with someone at work, somebody at the bus stop, One of our friends, maybe a relation, maybe even here in church sometimes. But we have that moment of opportunity, and we don't take it. The ten-second rule says, you have ten seconds when the thought comes into your mind, like it did with the window cleaner, shall I offer to pray for him or not? I thought to myself, ten-second rule applies here, and went in. Now, I'm saying I'm clever at it. It, it. I'm pretty bad at that kind of sort of stuff, really, or uh, seizing the opportunity. Missed too many opportunities, uh, I think, in my life. But I want to say to you this morning, that 10-second rule, take hold of it. We'll look at it again some other time, perhaps. But the 10-second rule, you're there, the conversation. You're having it. And often people know that you're a Christian. You know, they do know, people around you, uh, but whoever it is take the moment seize the moment go in most people when you offer to pray for them will say yes because usually they're in trouble of some kind amen anyway i discover a godly couple and and, uh, and an amazing uh, lifestyle that they lived and which hung on ever after in uh, in the reading that we took to we come to it, it was uh, and they were both well on, um, sorry, they observed the Lord's regulations blamelessly. But then we come to a big problem. I discover they were not just godly, they had a big issue in their lives. They had a huge, challenging issue in their life, a deeply painful issue in their lives, a distressing issue in their lives, and especially in their culture. Because, and some of you, some of you will know this as soon as we identify it, because it says this, But, oh, what about the buts in scripture? (laughs) But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. We know enough to know that it wasn't necessarily down to her, don't we? We know that today. You know, we're an adult congregation. Look, We know it, it could have been him as much as it could have been her. But in their day, they just always blamed the woman right? It's true. On this issue, it was the woman's fault, never the man's, right? Which we know is no longer true. But there, is, there must have been this deep hurt, because in their society, if if you were unable to have children, it was considered to be the judgment of God upon you for some sort of sin that you committed, uh, it, you know, at some point in your life. Think of the story in John, where, he, you know, they, they point to the blind man and say to Jesus, Um, Who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? Jesus goes straight back and he says, nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And then heals the man. You know? Um, (laughs) But it was a deeply painful issue. Now, some of you perhaps find yourself at moments in deeply painful issues. It's usual in life. And the other thing about the aspect of Zechariah and Elizabeth is he says that they prayed. He talks to the angel later on and the angel says to him, your prayers have been heard. So they've been praying about this. Who wouldn't pray about such an issue? Who wouldn't be focusing on God? Who would not have been calling upon the Lord? And we have ways and means these days, don't we? Of addressing these issues, medical way. We thank God for the advances in science that enable things. But in that, there was no hope They were hopeless, really, at that point. And now they're old and probably past the years of childbearing. And so they were struggling with this question of unanswered prayer. Many of you struggled with that? Have you been there? Have you been there? Of course you have. We all have, at some point or another. It's wonderful when somebody gets healed. And we want to see far more people healed. But there are times when prayer is not answered. I came across this quote quite recently and, uh, from a great Christian leader, a lady. And she said this, God hears our every prayer but makes times and ways his own. God answers every prayer but makes times and ways his own. Right? And that's something we have to grapple with. That's something we have to understand. And... And so if if you're in that place today, whatever you do, don't give up. I believe in a prayer answering God. He doesn't always answer the way you expect him to. He doesn't always deliver it up on a plate just the way you thought it was going to be. But he will answer your prayer. He He must have given to this couple presumably a grace to enable them to cope with that situation they found themselves in and to stay faithful to him through it all. Their their, their testimony is on, they hadn't gone around moaning and groaning that God wasn't answering prayer. They were hanging in there in their faith and their trust in God. God hears every prayer, but makes times and ways his own. And so, don't give up. Don't give up. Now, the next thing we discover in this story of this remarkable couple is that uh, Zechariah is just like you and I. We jump forward. He goes into the temple to perform his priestly duties, uh, etc., so forth. And unusually, he'd been chosen on this occasion to go right into the inner sanctum of the temple to perform his duties. And it says, that as he was doing so, it says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him Standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But who wouldn't be? Awesome creatures, angels. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid. If you notice in the Bible, whenever an angel appears, nearly always, he prefaces what he's going to say with, Do not be afraid. Because I think the sight of an angel. And we've got Gabriel, top man, right? Yeah, top man or top person. And, uh, and, and it must be awesome, mustn't it? I've never seen an angel. I believe in angels. I remember one occasion where, in a, in a room where I was with others worshipping, I felt the presence of, my eyes were shut. I dare not open my eyes. Put it like that. I dare not open my eyes. I, I, I could point to the, well, I was in my own living room actually with others. and, and I, I could not open my eyes but I believe that either an angel or the Lord Jesus was standing in the corner and I dare not open my eyes. That's a long time ago. About 1977. And uh, I think he must you know, awesome, here's this angel man in the Holy of Holies. He, he's, a, he's anxious enough about doing his priestly duties, isn't he? But there, there, there he is, and suddenly there's the angel, and the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, because I've got good news for you. Really good news. Your prayer has been heard. I mean, really, he should have, he would have known which prayer that was. I mean, Zechariah should have shouted hallelujah, but um, instead of that, he said, and then the angel goes on, he says, you're Wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, better still, a son for that day, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a light to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Is it getting good, isn't it? Power of Elijah turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow! You know, if this was in the meeting, we'd have erupted by now, wouldn't we? (laughs) Zechariah says to the angel, basically, impossible. Impossible. Cannot be. This cannot it cannot be. Well, I have a sympathy for him. Because it was, must have been an overwhelming experience all round. How can this be? I am being presented with the impossible solution. It's an impossible issue. And now you're saying God's going to answer this prayer when in my mind it's far too late. You know, Why didn't he answer this when I was young and vigorous? Why did I have to wait for this? It occurs to me that uh, all those years of waiting were like a preparation to make him into a place where he could become fit to be the father of John the Baptist and his wife fit to be the mother of John the Baptist. It was a life of being sanctified, to use a good old word, that process of making us more like Jesus. you, know, you got to get, God had got to get him into the right place ready for this astounding event. And of course, it says of Jesus, doesn't it, that he came into the world at precisely the right moment, Galatians 4.4, you know, at precisely the right time. Absolutely. Not a day too soon, not a day too late in the great economy of God and great plan of God. And it's true for us. If you're waiting, by all means, carry on calling on God. But at the same time, bear in mind, he makes times and ways his own. Right? And that day will come. Make sure you're ready on that day. And you don't go, like this man did. He's so human, really. How can I be sure? Not actually saying it's impossible. How can I be sure? Ridiculous at one level. But it's not ridiculous in God. And God knew exactly what he was going to do. Amazing, amazing moment. The announcement of this... John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest prophet of them all. You know? I often think of John being the, the, the great, the last of the Old Testament prophets, really, and the first of the New Testament prophets. You know? He, he straddles the, the great, you know, between Old and New Testament. You know? Like some colossus, really. Feet on so both sides. Old Testament in his style, but New Testament in his mission. And that's us. We're a New Testament mission. We're not Old Testament in that sense. We are New Testament people, aren't we? You know? The past, the heritage of the Old Testament is ours. Equally as valuable as the New Testament. But we are a New Testament people. And our mission? To make Christ known. And that was John's mission, wasn't it? To make Christ known. When he came into the world. So it 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 is understandable. Why did the angel silence him? He says to him, Because you're an unbelieving, you know, you won't be able to speak from here on. The Greek word is actually, the nearest to it is mute, right? And, and, and I think of this in terms of, you know, you know when, you're, when you're watching the telly and you put it on mute, don't you? Silence it, you know, because the phone's just rung, you want to answer it. So you, you mute the sound, don't you? And I, I think this angel hit the mute button. And then, you know, nine months later, when, when the child's born, he releases the bun, and he carries on talking, right? But why does he do that? I think it was that actually Zechariah had demonstrated a, a lack of faith. And I think the angel did not want him going out of the temple and, and spreading negativity. He didn't want him going out. I mean, at some point, John... Uh, uh, Zechariah must have communicated. He did it by writing. And we know that later on he writes the name John when they protest about it's not a family name. So he, he could write. So he must have left, and he must, have, after he'd recovered from his encounter, he must have written down what had been said. By which time, perhaps, it's, the written word is not as powerful as the spoken, is it? He wrote it down to satisfy his wife and explain, etc., etc. But but we can spread negativity, can't we? Isn't that easy? Isn't it easy to be negative? It is, isn't it? Yeah, you know? we We proclaim faith here on a Sunday morning. And we go out tomorrow morning and the first problem we hit, we go, don't we? Yeah? Yeah? We're not careful. we, we we've got, Brothers and sisters, we've got to speak faith to one another. Let's speak faith to one another. If we catch one another speaking negative, let's point it out to each other. Right? Let's have done with negativity. It, 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 it destroys negativity. It does, doesn't it? It's funda- it does. It undermines. You know? You say, you know, negatively. I won't give examples. You all know the examples. Watch what you say. And especially if an angel turns up and gives you a promise, watch what you say. Right? Any of you come here next week and you can't speak, I shall know why. God speaks not so much through angels these days but through his Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives. He speaks through his word. That's why we must not neglect the reading of scripture either in public or in private. This is the word of the Lord. It's not just a book. It's living. It's the word of God. You know? Let's take on again how powerful this word is. And as God's You know, when you're reading, when God points out something to you in the Scripture, when he underlines some little verse or some large chunk, and and, and it begins to bless you, then focus on it. You know, go over it again and again. Rehearse it again and again. Let the Word of God speak to you. It's a living Word. We don't serve a dead God. Every other religion serves a dead God. Really. What's the unique thing about Christian faith? Really, uh, the grace of God being poured out through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only religion in which you don't have to earn your way. You just have to receive what God in Christ has done for you. And he changes your life when you do that. Changed my life a long time ago. I thank God for that. It's given me a lifetime of faith from 13 years old onwards. I often mention it because I am so grateful to God for what he did to me, right? Knowing very little, really. I had Sunday school understanding. But the preacher said, quoting from the scripture, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you open that door, I will come in, says Jesus, and I'll be with you forever and ever. And at 13 years old, I heard that call, and I stepped out. I, had to, I was... There were so many people in the church. I was sitting outside listening to broadcast it, being broadcast on, on um, Amplified. And uh, I had to make my way up the steps of the church, into the church, and walk to the very front of the church because that was invited to come forward. You know? And I thank God for that day. I want to say to you this morning, if, if you're somebody who's looking into Christian faith, if in any sense or per- way you're... you're, you're you're curious about it, right? Open the door and invite him in because actually, if you keep the door shut, if you may have noticed this with other people, if the door's shut, it's very hard to have a conversation between you and somebody else on the other side, isn't it? Unless you shout through the letterbox. Not the best way to communicate. Look, you don't have to understand it. You just have to open yourself up, invite Jesus to come in, And see what happens next. Yeah? See what happens. Be dare. you know, he who dares wins. Yeah? Right? Open up. Ten second rule. Don't hang around. Open up and let him in and then begin with all your questions. Then begin with inquiry. Then begin to say, you know, is there anything in it? Well, let him explain it to you. He will. He will. He will. He will. Explain this to Zechariah here. God bless Zechariah. It must have been an uncomfortable nine months, but uh, there we are. We need to speak faith to each other. That's what I was really saying. In that little book of Jude, towards the end of the Bible, it's only got one chapter, so verse 20. And he says this, you, dear friends, he's addressing Christians, you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. We're Pentecostals, so we ought to find that quite easy, shouldn't we? Pray in English, or to pray in tongues, whatever. Build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Let's encourage each other. Let's speak faith to each other. You know? Let's, let's not spread doubt, or uncertainty, or negativity. Let's be positive about our faith. Somebody say, Amen. <laughs> There's a Chinese proverb, you know says this, those who say it can't be done should not get in the way of those already doing it. Right? And that's a pr- yeah. Because as soon as you suggest something, there's always somebody who says ah, but, yeah, but, I must hasten on. Finally. You were waiting for that, weren't you? Finally. You were counting off the minutes there, weren't you? I said to Stuart, probably on the 11th I said, I'll go for 30 minutes. We're just heading about a minute to go. Finally, of course, preachers have finally, in conclusion, before I sit down <laughs> OK, we discover a happy ending. I'm a bit soppy. I do love happy endings. I, you're watching the film, however you know, dreadful it all is, I do like it to have a happy ending. you know, a happy ending. However impossible that happy ending turns out to be. I do like it to have a happy ending. just thinking of my, my late wife and we'd, we'd switch on the television to watch the news and you'd get the last three or four minutes of the film, you know I'd be sitting there waiting for the news she'd be in tears because it's the last two or three minutes of the film and she'd be, God bless her, she is blessed now I discover a happy ending see it says Elizabeth, verse 24, Elizabeth became pregnant ladies, that's an exciting moment Fellas, that is an exciting moment, a bit daunting in some ways, but it's exciting, isn't it? Very exciting. There's a man back there. I think you've got your baby in your arms. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. God bless every young mum and dad in this church today. So she became pregnant. And then, better still, because verse 57 says, when it was time she gave birth to a son. And what a son he turned out to be, didn't he? What an amazing man I've already referred to that. And so there we are. The story starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Ordinary people, just like you and me. Just as ordinary as you and me. You know? Come on, just as ordinary. Because God takes extraordinary, to ordinary people, and does extraordinary things with them. Read your Bible, you'll find hundreds of cases. So, my prayer is that as a community of believers... We will excel in ordinary things whilst believing that he who multiplied bread and fish, ordinary bread and fish, will do extraordinary things in us, through us, as we respond in faith, seizing every opportunity that God presents to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.